Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning into the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased to welcome an associate I've known for a few years, Mr. Christopher Leonard. For years, Chris has been at the leading edge of healthcare development technology, as well as artificial intelligence. Uh, in fact, his master's thesis was on healthcare informatics and, and AI. Chris, thanks for joining the Take Chronicles today. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Chris, uh, AI has been in the background for years in the healthcare domain, but really in the last six months has it uh, burst into the mainstream as far as visibility. It's almost like a, a gold rush. The popularity of applications like Chat GPT and others have created an environment where AI is considered the next big thing. So I'm looking forward to talking uh, and getting your thoughts on it. But before we dig into that a little bit, tell us a little bit about your background and your experience in, in healthcare and data in specific. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned I've, uh, I've known Jim for, for some time. Um, he's worked with us uh, with a lot of the uh, meaningful use work and, mm-hmm. and uh, so very knowledgeable, great, great partner. So it's it's well, nice to nice thank to you. Be here. It's been a long and winding road keeping up with <laughs> regulatory and compliance issues. Exactly, and we we started I think around 2010, right when mm-hmm. um, meaningful use was taken off. So uh, that was what uh, 13 hymns ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, the uh, so yeah, I'm a I'm a physician, uh, healthcare executive, um, I'd say a clinical informaticist too. Um, probably a, I was a CIO for a physician management company, 300 plus clinicians in the long-term care space, wound care specifically. Um, so it was niche based, uh, but I was CIO for seven years and informatics director for five years prior. And for a year prior to that, I worked in the field doing wound care in long-term care facilities uh, and that overlapped two years or two to three years of clinical work I did after my general surgery residency. So I, I did general surgery, but I always had an interest in wound care um, and related r- related areas. Um, but I I specifically came I came to corporate in 2010 and specifically liked the, uh, the development and the creativity that that. Uh, that was involved there and the challenge of, uh, of healthcare at that time, that that was the beginning, beginning of the real collision of healthcare and technology and the HRs and mandates and federal programs. And they existed before, but this really was when it was on steroids. So I, um, I redesigned the proprietary HR and made, it was niche specific. Um, we had smart data capture and um, we expanded the care model and added verticals uh, that the HR supported and other systems within the ecosystem so it was it was really uh, a privilege to be able to to work on that sort of thing and expand the care model um, aligned with CMS initiatives as well and ultimately with all that data capture we moved into data transformation across the whole enterprise and and then subsequently uh, predictive analysis in addition to uh, a descriptive analysis so 
uh, we were using an, uh, a live AI model that fed back into the EHR, which um, and that was what the thesis was about. So I, I did a, a master's at Northwestern Healthcare Informatics while I was CIO. Uh, so it's kind of like doing a residency where you're, you know, you're studying and you're doing what you're studying. So that was a very fortunate for, for me to be able to, to do that. Uh, so that's about 2020, uh, 22. You know, Chris, um, I talked to a lot of folks about AI and a lot of folks about healthcare. So um, I love talking to somebody who's been in actual healthcare delivery, uh, as well as directly involved with the technologies around that delivery. Um, so for th those of us who may not be up on it quite as much in terms of AI def definitions, we keep hearing of uh, predictive AI and generative AI. What's the difference between those two? And, and how does that possibly apply to healthcare? Uh, that's a that's a great question. It's, it's important to make that distinction because otherwise it gets muddier than it might already be. I I think generative AI is is no pun intended, but predictively going to be more uh, stealing the limelight with standalone AI mm. tools or application. Um, several years ago, maybe uh, 2016 17. There was a uh, a bump in the attention given to predictive AI, uh, but I think that the pr predictive AI largely, uh, with some exceptions, there are some standalone applications that have you know kind of cool predictive functionalities that are easy to remember. But a lot of predictive AI, I think the the, the best predictive AI works in the background and is transparent, so it's not readily identifiable. Um, and it, it captures lots of different data from different sources, and it the models are trained on data in order to make predictions. So, you know, like um, potential diagnoses, potential risk assessments, uh, cost analysis, things like that. So it's not always as sexy. Uh, with generative AI, uh, the difference in a generative at a high level and mm -hmm. generative AI model is a, a generative AI is creating novel content. So it basically is is attempting to, uh, for lack of a better term, mimic the ability to create content. So if you think of uh, predictive AI as sort of putting in all of the variables uh, about a given patient that are relevant in the examination, and the uh, the prediction or the output is the diagnosis. Uh, and then ultimately it learns how to look at these different variables and the, the correlations between them, but on a massive scale and weight them differently and then make predictions and recommendations and treatment recommendations, things like that, or risk assessments. Whereas generative AI is really more about um, the, the learning, the, the, the model learns uh, how to take content and general and, and mm -hmm. various types of tests text rather um realistic images uh summaries of topical knowledge sure and out chat, you know yeah chat, sort of sure chat gpt uh which are exactly. pretty yeah 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 like predicting the next word <laughs> um and 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 those models can be trained uh, let's talk about a couple of uh use cases uh i was at the hymns conference i don't know if you were there uh a few months back, Chris, but uh, every EHR claimed they were doing AI. 
and they're trying to make it as visible as possible. And, and quite a few of them, even very small vendors, uh, basically be using um, chat GPT to look at data on a patient and maybe generate a diet plan or an exercise plan, something like that. That's, uh, you know, kind of one interesting, but but certainly that does not have the power of AI to maybe look at radiographic images and scans, which is highly being used. But uh, what are your thoughts uh, about, uh, well, you know, this, I tell you, Chris, this kind of reminds me a little bit of when the first driverless, or I guess they call them driverless cars came out. You know, yeah. they, they seem to work really well 99% of the time or maybe more, but um, sometimes it didn't work. Uh, and so, um, uh, with radiographic use cases or maybe uh, use cases where a treatment plan is suggested or or labs are ordered, it, it seems almost imperative that there be some human review of actions before they're taken or diagnoses uh, kind of to confirm. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, abs- absolutely. And that's going to be true for, for quite some time and, and, and even in an ongoing way. So, one of the things, and that's and that's true of predictive and generative uh, AI. Mm-hmm. So predictive AI, because it's pre- it's it's predicting a variable or um, or diagnosis, whatever it's predicting or whatever it's recommending. Um, there's a there's something called the black box concept, and mm. um, it, it's and FDA approval uh, gets involved in this as well. You have to document how you're coming up with these um, with these predictions and these recommendations. Because in, in healthcare specifically, it, it can't be a black box where it's not decipherable by a human um, in terms of what the attributes are or what the uh, how you're how you're uh, arriving at a conclusion or how the the, the model is. Sure. Um, with generative AI, it I think in in some cases it it seems a little less serious because you're creating emails or maybe small marketing. Um, campaigns. But when you start to now take that and apply it to healthcare, and not just for logistics appointments and, and reminders and, and patient portals and things like that, but if you are looking at it for education, uh, for the patient to be reading about their medicines or being able to uh, inquire about one of their medicines related to a condition that they have, it's really important to get, get that right, of course. Otherwise, you, there can be you know, quite a mess. So there is a black box component there as well. The reason also that generative AI can explode the way it does is because with predictive, you you need to find your data set, which needs to be very mm. clean. And you, that's that's not that's not very easy. Um, and then you have to build generally to build the models from scratch. The proprietary algorithms you still have to build the model from scratch. It takes a lot of time and, and effort to get it to uh, find the level of predictability, you know, the accuracy, which is is formally tested. Um, with generative, it's there's still some questions as to how to measure its accuracy. What is accuracy when you're creating content? It's very contextual. So um, one of the reasons that it explodes is because they don't you don't have to make it from scratch. You're using an engine that's already built and you're just applying it to more narrow scoped content rather than generalized content from the entire, um, you know, across different uh, sectors or, or topics. 
So when you apply it, you have to train it properly and you have to understand, um, you have to be able to uh, look at it and understand what the target is for your level of comfort with it. And that's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, there are some there are some standardized uh, methods, but there is a lot of subjectivity to it because it is content. It's language and co- and, and context. So there's always going to be that level of subjectivity. And if things change, the model has to change and the interactions have to change because mm-hmm. um, if you change the process or the logistics or the context of anything, then a lot of times um, the the output is going to change. So there's this thing called drift and that happens, that's going to happen with generative AI, just like with predictive AI. So yeah, I think we're going to learn as we go. Um, There are a lot of people concerned with, um, you know, copyright infringement, things like that. Is something authentically created or, um, Mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing. So, um, and that happens in the music industry and writing industry and all things too. But in terms of uh, in terms of medicine, I think the place for generative AI, the safest places, is routine operational tasks that you, and and basic patient education and information, so you can smooth out the process uh, until it gets uh, a little more uh, seasoned and uh, proven to where you can uh, put it into places where decisions are going to depend on it. Let me mention uh, to our audience. Um... If you're just joining us, I'm Jim Tate. On this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Chris Leonard, and the topic is AI in the healthcare domain. Uh, Chris, one of the things I always uh, uh, like to discuss and hear commentary on has to do particularly with AI, the barriers to implementation and acceptance of the technology. This is uh, a pretty big step forward. Uh, you know, most uh, providers have used EHRs. You're used to clinical decision support rules and alerts may pop up and uh, things right. like that. Kind of a crude AI, maybe. What's it going to take for the acceptance of this technology? Is just that the proof over time that it's safe? Or, you know, are we at version 1.0 of this? And, you know, it's changing so rapidly that the, the risk uh, of using it is not considered uh, an issue for providers. Where are we at with that? I, I think in the blanket of of, of healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there will be some time before that's adopted. And but that's why it's also important to keep keep generative and predictive separate. Predictive was was uh, it had some high barriers to 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 uh, succumb, um, and largely those were internal for the people developing or the enterprise developing because of the the lack of ability to determine ROI as easily as it was for routine development. A routine development, if you're building something that just does a certain function, you, you know what that function is and you know what that function is probably worth. Um, with model prediction, with model development, it's not just a one and done. Typically it's, it's a, it's building an infrastructure that runs in parallel. Um, so there's quite an investment and plus the skill sets were sort of unknown. Who do I need to, 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 to build these and how do we prioritize mm. the different models that we're going to pump out? It, it makes much more sense to create models um, more, than, more than one to have AI uh, work in terms of increasing your operational efficiency internally or in the case of healthcare, also increasing you know clinical efficacy or quality of care. 
those things, uh, no, they also require, um, depending on what they do, at some FDA approval, there are some recommendations. But there's quite an investment, and it's a it's a long game. And on top of that, you really have to have good standardized data. So if you haven't really conquered the digital transformation that we all talk about, you really don't have the the ammunition to to have a really good um, functional and accurate product in a predictive AI um, scenario. If you're you know if you're trying to use your own data with generative AI, you're taking the the guts of something and and basically applying it to information within your niche. So as long as that information is accurate and as long as the contextual output is appropriate, um, it's 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 going to be largely it's going to be largely safe. And especially if you're using it for operational purposes. But I think I think those are that's why there's sort of a difference between the two, and that's why digital transformation still has to continue. Um, because for everyone, obviously, we need to convert. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, actually generative AI will probably uh, lead the way for more digital transformation. And the reason being is that generative AI is sort of an interface uh, to mm-hmm. explain uh, different out- outcomes, measures, different different information that is evolving and always and and we're always learning more data insights from predictive tools. Yes. So predictive tools are going to you know they're going to produce a lot of output and as you as you as you run them and as they're used and as you measure their accuracy and their predictive value you're going to learn things like which dressings for instance in wound mm-hmm. care which dressings are you are best used in given scenarios. Uh, and and you're going to finally have data on a large scale that you didn't have before. So you're going to you're going to unlock data insights. So there's basically what's called knowledge discovery, and knowledge discovery it, it, it occurs in like I said a non-sexy way. However, if you're now going to allow clinicians to use generative AI, um, like a lightweight generative AI model in their EHR, where they can type a question about a given scenario or mm-hmm. some of those data insights within your niche, now there's extra incentive to get those produced and get them actually utilized. So it's not just payers and uh, risk identifiers looking at them, but it's actually end users and patients, and especially with patients to give them the education they need, which is very much a priority of a lot of these federal programs, and rightfully so. Um, I think that you're going to see generative AI push the way forward and accelerate uh, predictive AI, mm-hmm. but at, at minimum, at, at minimum, accelerate the digital transformation process. That's that's kind of got kind of hit a stall. I think. You know, one of the things you've mentioned a couple of times has to do with data quality. So if um, these AI models are, are trained on giant data sets of, of uh, clinical records, the identified clinical records or, or whatever the data set is. In some cases, because of the fragmentation of our system, if you look at like the medications that somebody is on, there may be a medication for diabetes. And uh, that is often almost assumed then, well, they're diabetic, even though it may have been ordered 
off label for weight loss is uh, pretty common right now. Um, and, and, and so uh, you talk about, you know, continued learning. So uh, it, in some ways, in, in the case I just mentioned, systems have to be sophisticated enough or learn enough that just because somebody's on a diabetic drug, uh, they might not have diabetes. And so, um, yeah, exactly. yeah uh, that kind of goes back to your concept of clean data, which we, we don't yeah. always have. We don't always have. We don't always have, and, and we're lucky if we do. Uh, obviously, in a narrow niche, um, it's 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 a little easier. There's a narrow, you know, a more narrow scope. Um, so sometimes it's 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 better to attack it from that perspective. To look at 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 specialty mm -hmm. um, specialty scopes, um, and then work out from there. I think if you follow federal guidelines, that's probably the ultimately the ultimately in in the long term if you're looking at the at, at ai overall across the across the country you're you're and and world i assume you're um you're really looking at following the the ontology um and standardization codification guidelines in these in some of these federal private program and partnerships um the, there are innumerable scenarios in which uh, that are not intuitively thought of by uh, many people, even pe even clinicians, um, that would screw up uh, the ability of a predictive tool to to rec make a recommendation. Um, incorrect documentation, duplicate documentation, like you said, medications not falling off or being used. So mm -hmm. that 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 context and that ability to understand it, it's all it all comes back to context and process. So. The way the way you can defeat that, it's not just about you know it is about disparate information and and certain certain types of information. And you know, if an enterprise has an M and A and they they have several products within an ecosystem that 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 have different you know languages, uh, different ways of production of the data, you have to um, be able to understand how the data was captured. So from the point of inception of the data all the way to the to the point that it's um, being used by the model needs to be understood and i think that that's that's a critical point that's what i learned uh, over my time uh as a, as as cio there was i had to understand the granular nature of the data capture process and i found that if you make the the workflow the clinical workflow at the at the at the user ehr let's say ehr mm -hmm. or any other related system if you make that streamlined and intuitive, the more intuitive, the more likely you are to get accurate data entry. And then certain ones, certain things you have to mandate, um, but certain things are are going to be likely um, more accurate and likely not have missing data if you ask for the information at the right point in the workflow. So some of those things, it's very hard to go for a short period of time and, and watch a clinician and figure this out. These are things that, you know, for six years of residency, you know, I, I probably crammed 15 years of experience in six years of residency. And when you when you work, when you do things that frequently, that often, there's a thought process that becomes second nature. And it's it's that thought process that you have to sort of tap into. And you know that there are just certain things in the context of providing clinical care at the ground level that other people just aren't going to know. So to leverage that experiential knowledge and understanding 
um, and then combine it with process and, and logistics and, and then understanding data science enough for, for data capture and informatics principles. Those kinds of things really, really impact the uh, quality of the data uh, more than you hear about. Usually it's about disparate systems, and that certainly is true. But even without a disparate system, there are so many ways that data can be misinterpreted, misconstrued, mislabeled, misunderstood, um, that it's very critical to have a subject matter expert um, with experiential knowledge, plus a knowledge of how to translate that into mm. a working sure. system. So I think that's it's something that often, you know, streamlining workflow is often talked about for efficiency. Correct. But it, it also uh, very, very much reflects uh, data consistency and accuracy. Chris, it's hard to believe, but we're almost totally out of time. And before we have to say goodbye to our audience, how can our listeners contact you to find out more about your work and uh, what you're involved with? Um, I know you're on LinkedIn. Is that the best place to reach you, Chris? Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest. The um, the, the URL is... Um, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash uh, c leonard 007 uh, you can look up christopher leonard uh, d-o-m-h-i masters of health informatics if you put that at the end uh, then it'll come right up uh, yeah. and then uh, i think jim's going to put some links on the yeah on the- Abs- absolutely um well to our audience thanks for joining me on this episode of the take chronicles of course i offer a special salute to my guest today chris leonard Chris, thanks for coming aboard today. Thanks so much, Jim. It was a pleasure. I've enjoyed it also. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.